This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. Welcome back to Cottage Talk. This is our post-match show of Fulham's 1-0 loss to Chelsea. Joining me right now is Max Cohen. And Alec Coben. And in this episode, we're going to look back at this loss for Fulham. Again, it's disappointing, but we have a lot to talk about. We already did a full-time show, me and Emilio. But now I have two younger Fulham supporters. I'm the old man here. I thought it'd be fun to get all three of us back together. And We did a show. I want to say, well, I had you on, Alec, before. So I thought it'd be good to get you and Max on, on a show and talk about this match. On top of it, we're going to have a very interesting conversation. And it's going to be based on Dan Crawford's article on hamian.com, which I recommend everyone reading. It's called How Full is Foam's Glass? We're going to talk about that. Are you a glass half full supporter or a glass half empty supporter? That'll be very interesting when we get to that. But let's just get going. First of all, Max, I want to welcome you back to the show. Give me your opening thoughts on Foam's 1-0 loss to Chelsea. We have a lot to unpack here. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Anthony Robinson let the team down, and that's a sad reality of what happened. For the first 44 minutes, we were even with Chelsea, perhaps even playing better towards the last 15 minutes of that half. And honestly, Robinson was actually part of that impressive play. But he played well. Forward on the left wing. Point. Yeah, played very well. Well, there's no need for that tackle. And I think Aspilicueta made the most of it. That's, that's for sure, but it's a setting off, I think. It's rash. But it's in the opposition half. It's not like he say. It's not like it was an Anderson tackle which saved the goal from happening. It was just no need for it. And once you go down to ten, it changes the entire complexity. Absolutely. I thought we were excellent. 
to be fair. It was a really great performance considering the COVID outbreak, mm-hmm. considering we just played a match against Spurs, a, a tiring 1-1 draw, you know, in midweek, to come out and play, you know, 45 minutes with 10 men and almost get there, you know, 13 minutes away from uh-huh. getting that point was exceptional. But, you know, as we're going to talk about later on, exceptional performances and no points isn't going to cut it right now. The yeah. one reason I'm, I'm going to go and say, you know, maybe preview what's going to happen in the second half of, or later on the podcast and yep. be a bit pessimistic is because the other teams around us are picking up points. We cannot depend on other teams to be poor. We have to get points ourselves. And when we play those other teams, which will come, we're not going to play the big sides for the rest of the season. Yep. That will end. We haven't shown that we can take on a team. With the exception of the West Brom match, I'd say, we haven't played a match where we haven't sat back and played well. When teams you know, kind of sit back on us and ask us to attack, we don't have the creativity. We don't have the natural goal score. And that w- that's what makes me worried. Because okay. I think we're getting bonuses with the one points here and there against Liverpool, you know, Spurs, etc. But we need the three points against teams like Brighton, against Burnley, against West Brom. I'm not sure if we can do that quite yet. Okay. I'm going to go to Alec just to get Alec's thoughts on what you just shared. Because, Alec, this is something that Emilio has talked about. When you look at these matches, we will be judged and actually our decision on a decision will really come down to how we play against the West Brom's. And very good point by Max by talking about have we proven that we can be on the front foot from the get-go? The only match I can remember is the West Brom match. So do you understand Max's concern on that? And what are your thoughts on what he shared? Oh, well, I, I completely agree that we need to start picking up points. I, I, I would disagree with the with the the commentary on the performances. I actually think we have often taken the, the game to, 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 the, to the other team. But often we have been... Within the within the recent matches, we've been faced with much stronger sides, with just who have a lot much larger budget, and we we have been forced to sit back. We don't have a deep, we don't have a very deep enough, we don't we don't have a very deep squad to actually, you know. Keep well, we the weren't bench on the running. front foot. I'm sorry to break in against. I will use Brighton as an example. We weren't on the front foot against Brighton. I think Brighton was an exception, but I think against Liverpool, for example, we were pretty strong from the outset. Yes. But we just don't have as strong of as strong of a bench as okay. the Liverpool side do. So I, I think I was actually quite. I've actually been quite encouraged by the recent performances. Obviously, it's very disappointing that we've only taken what is it five points from the last from the last six. Um, but if you consider if you consider all the challenges we face, not just with the teams that we faced, but also the internal challenges with a lot of players being out, we can't even fill the bench up. I think it was actually a decent. It was actually a decent performance, and I can kind of understand why we've had to sit back because you know we have to. We have to conserve some some energy, and I think, like we showed yesterday, we we sat back for a lot of the game, but we created we created the best chances of the game, arguably, and that's because we are very incisive on the counter attack, and we were right. efficient in our and we were we were efficient in our defense and incisive with our counter attacking. And right. more broadly, I would say more my broader thoughts were that it was a real tactical showdown yesterday, and I think tactically and morally, I like to say we won the game yesterday. Wow. No, just you know, luck wasn't really on luck wasn't really on our side. You know, uh, Chelsea have a, as I said, three hundred million. They've spent three hundred million pounds over the over the summer on their team, and they have a very deep squad. And the sending off obviously was very disappointing. Frank Lampard mate was was pretty shrewd in his decision making following that, in pushing yep. players up higher, pushing pushing his team higher up the pitch, and forcing us to sit back, creating little pockets in the midfield. And that really kind of opened us up and 
we we held on long enough. However, in the end, I think it, the pressure was just a little bit too much. And maybe a, I, I would say, I would say the goal, I don't like to call out Ariola because I think, again, he was probably my man in the match again. But um, I think he could have done a little bit better. But overall, I'm actually quite encouraged with the play. And, and I think I, I think we can I think we can go on and and get better results from here. See, I agree with you, Alec. I really do. And uh, that's what's interesting about this match because in a loss, I can see a lot of positives to come out of it, but that's also because I'm probably a glass half full. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to ask both of you this, and I'm glad that, Alec, you led us with this. Let's talk about the coaching matchup because I found this interesting. And I'll go to you first, Alex, and I want to go to you, Max. Let's, let's talk about this because Frank Lampard set up Chelsea differently. I was expecting a 4-3-3. He did not go with that. So he actually really gave Fulham something I don't think they were expecting. And I thought Fulham adjusted as the first half went on. And then you talked about what Frank did in the second half. Again, he made a lot of adjustments. But sort of Parker, let's get your thoughts on both coaches here and how they set the teams up to succeed, even though obviously Chelsea got the victory. But I think Parker did a very good job as well setting his team up for success. It just didn't work out. Well, I would say it was all about – our whole strategy was about setting, uh, was about shutting Chelsea down in the midfield, and it's quite appropriate that both managers were ex-midfielders because it really came down to that midfield battle. We did have Cavalero trying to shut down uh, Jorginho, and that really tied the game up for a lot of the game. We had we had the fullbacks pushing up, pushing up, and we weren't sitting back too deep, although we were playing defensively. Once Frank Lamp, once Frank, you know, he once he saw that we were. Weak in defense. Once we had to drop back, uh, he brought on, he brought on Tammy Abraham's, and that really did change the whole game. Yep. Cavalera couldn't put the same pressure on on Cavalera. Really couldn't put the same pressure on the defense, and Chelsea just had a lot had a lot of players much higher up, and the and the and our wingers um, and our wingers uh, called Deco Dover Reed and Lookman had to had to sit back a lot more, creating those little pockets in the midfield right. and really allowing Mount. Are really allowing Mount to get forward and actually into goal scoring opportunities when he's really uh, he's really a midfielder. So it was it was just quite interesting how how the players how the sorry how the managers set their teams up to to really to play out that midfield battle. But, okay, very interesting, Max. What are your thoughts about what Alex just shared about how the coaches set their teams up and uh, specifically the moves by Lampard and then of course the counter moves I want to say in the first half by. Scott Parker, because there was a point, and I'm going to bring this up and I'm bring up this graphic, because if you watch back the match, I ask everyone, you know, check it out. Check out the, the first half before the sending off. All of a sudden, Fulham were doing a high press, Max, and really affecting what was going on with Chelsea. That's why I felt if Anthony Robinson did not get sent off, I think it's a different second half, because I think they showed something. Up to that lead-up for about five minutes, they were doing this high press, and Chelsea were having a hard time dealing with it. They weren't doing it from the get-go, but they did it late in the first half. Again, this is something that we're talking about, like tactical moves from both coaches. But this is one from Scott Park. I'm curious your view on that, and also overall of the coaching matchup here. Yeah, I think what Alec mentioned about the midfield battle was crucial, and yeah. I want to give a shout out to Harrison Reed, who I thought was absolutely superb yeah, very in the midfield. Good. This is a player who I don't think. A lot of people expected to perform this well at Premier League level. It was key for us in the championship, but he slotted right in. And I think he should be a guaranteed starter from now on because he just tried to shut down everything they were doing. 
partner with Anguissa, I thought it was a really effective uh, partnership in there. And I think it's a good point as well about the pressing. Yes. Chelsea looked nervous. I mean, Thiago Silva. Mendy looked very nervous. A, a legendary defender just kicking balls out of play under pressure from Ivan Cavalier. I mean, That's what, right. What a sentence that is. We just put a bit of pressure on them. And as you mentioned, it was just a couple of minutes. It wasn't the entire match. No, and I think it was that's at the end of the first half. When a press can be most effective because we don't have the stamina to keep that up for 90 minutes. But it's also the element of surprise. When you do it for a short, concerted amount of time, it's a lot more effective, I think, than kind of half 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 asking at the entire match. So it was it was well done. And yeah, I think what Chelsea were doing was trying to cause us problems through, you know, as Alec mentioned, Mason Mount, Pulisic, yep. Ziyech, you know, really skillful players. I wasn't too bothered. By them, I mean Mount did hit the bar first half, but I he think you know, as Alex said earlier, they, Chelsea didn't create that many high quality opportunities. Ariola did make good saves, but even with ten men, I didn't truly feel as if we were under the cost. We definitely sat back, we definitely had less possession, but it wasn't necessarily chance after chance after chance. No, it almost reminded me of the Liverpool match in a way when we were defending that lead. When you know we definitely were sitting back and being compact but I wasn't that nervous. And then the goal just kind of comes and it felt like it was deserved, but it, it felt a bit out of nothing because we were comfortable in many respects. And that's kind of if that goal doesn't happen, they don't score. Yeah. And even you want to talk about tactics yeah. for, for the last five minutes of stoppage time, Fulham were the team who were pressing forward, you know, that's right. Had a couple of breaks, but we were being positive. And, you know, as the announcers were saying over here in the States that Chelsea should have been bossing that just playing keep ball. And they weren't. I think that's they were not at all. But also, that's a never say point. never say die attitude that Fulham have under Parker is that they will always push to the end, um, and didn't work out this time. But it's admirable, right? And what's interesting about it, I'm glad we're talking about the coaches and specifically. Obviously, we're going to focus more on Scott Parker, and I think that Fulham have taken on the approach and uh, the the way that Scott Parker was as a player. They play together as a team. That this is a unit. Alec, and that's also something to come out of this. Because when we talk about the difference between two seasons ago, they didn't play like this, Alec. They, they didn't have this mentality two seasons ago. I feel that that they truly believe that they can beat anyone. And uh, and it shows, and they play for each other. They can tie that, anybody. What? They can tie anybody. <laughs> they can what? Tie, get a draw. Oh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> good point by you. But going back to – what you were saying before when we're just focusing on, on how Fulham are playing. And I can just tell that you are encouraged by what you're seeing. It starts with Parker, but the but the players have what we would say over here, and I said this to Giannis and Emilio too. They have the buy-in. They're buying into what Parker's selling. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I, I would say the, the tactics, they work like clockwork. You know, we have, we have one player pressing, another one fills in with his – fills in behind him. Yep. If another player drops back, another player comes in and supports him. We we the team has been constantly working like clockwork and it's especially clear on the on the pressing tactics that's, that Parker has implemented. Yes. Now it's obviously a defensive minded that's obviously a defensive minded attitude to have. However, Parker is a, has always been a defensive mind was always a defensive minded player and he's going to be a defensive minded coach as well. And when you're playing when you're fighting for your life in the relegation and play, playing much of the playing much of the season within the relegation zone, you are going to be playing. You are going to be playing quite defensively. I would actually say we are one of the one of the less cynical teams playing in the playing in the bottom half of the season. Oh, I agree with that. 
we're not a root when exactly we're not a root one team no um we like to pass the ball around but when we come up against the bigger size and we know we are, we, are, we are outmatched and outmanned then we know that we need to sit back a little bit and pr- and press it and press the um and press the opposition where it matters not letting them get in behind us and we and honestly i think our our sent our if you look at our defense looking up look at our look at our, look at our back five structure i actually think that whenever we have that back five in place no no team can break us down no tottenham no liverpool no chelsea it's just unfortunate that we we had to play we had to play out of that out of that regular formation um for, for the great for, for the majority of that game yeah no, good stuff good stuff from the two of you and that's going to lead, before we really break down this match, to talk about the starting 11. And uh, I want to get your thoughts, especially we can focus on the bench because this is the problem. When you looked at the benches of both teams, this is, again, this is, goes back to something you said, Alec, when you're Chelsea and you can bring on Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and and the players that they can bring on beyond that is just, it's, it's crazy that – they have that type of bench. You look at the bench we had. That's what was a little bit concerned. That's something that Emilio and I were talking about. So I want to get your thoughts on the starting 11, but also at the time when you learned an hour ago, when you looked at the bench, did you think like myself, like, uh-oh, there's not enough there to change the game if they need to? Over to you, Yeah, yeah I mean, the, I think that's, you know, we're, we're, bringing on, we're bringing on midfielders late in the game in place of strikers because they're too tired. Like we saw with, when we saw with Cavalero coming off uh, or who was it? Was it Onima? Uh, you, you just don't have a deep enough squad. At that point in the game, we're chasing the game, and we have to bring bring on a midfielder because we don't have a, a solid goal scorer. We did we br- did bring on Kamara as yeah. well, and again, I, like I've said before, I don't I, I don't really rate Kamara to, as as a player that can turn around a game. So you look at that. You so you look at that, <laughs> and I, I would say that Scott Parker has very little choice when he picks that starting eleven. Yeah. I think we have very little depth, and th- this is going to be this is always going to be a problem when you know we don't have we don't really have the financial resources to, to strengthen that to strengthen right. to strengthen that squad, especially when we're pouring all of our money into building a new building rebuilding part of our stadium. Right, and I'm just sharing some comments from the phone supporters talking about the bench. Over to you, Max. Your thoughts? It's not the bench that's a problem in my mind. It's that we don't have a striker. I mean, Cavalera, <laughs> he was an embarrassment. And I, he tried his best. I think someone made a good point. I think it was uh, Bradford in the comments said, did he perform below expectations? I don't think Cavalera did. We know who Cavalera is. We know who he is. He's not a goal scorer, right? And he got the goal against Spurs. I'm happy for him. But if he's your number nine in the Premier League, you're going down. If this wasn't a wake-up call for Tony Khan, I don't know what was because that chance he had. I mean, that was one of been one of the goals of the season that counterattack, and he hits it off his standing foot. That's a joke. That's yeah. not a joke. And let's also not forget when uh, Mendy cleared the ball right to Cavalier in the second half when we're down to ten <laughs> men. You need composure, and he just hits it right back in the box first time. It's laughable, and he cannot be your starting striker. He cannot be our starting striker at all. So it's, it's a great point, Max. I mean, yeah, the bench isn't great for sure, but I'm saying what's our actual problem is a lack of a number nine goal scorer. And I have, you know, my friends who are other support, supporters of other teams in Premier League, they say to me, Max, look, you guys, the defense is amazing, but where are the goals? Where are the 12 goals from a striker that's going to keep you up? They're not in the squad right now. I hate to say it, it's not coming from Mitrovic. It's just not his year. I hope he gets healthy, hope his form improves. I'm not counting on it. 
But what? It's two weeks left in the January transfer window. I mean, we always do our business late, but to me, that is the main focus. I agree the bench isn't great, right. but we need to focus on getting a number nine. Well, I want to go back to this because I thought Bradford Guth, who just sent a really good comment, and I just put it up on the screen, and I'll share it again because it's a great question, guys. Honest question. Did any phone players perform below expectations yesterday? And I don't think that they did. Well, and, Robinson. Robinson, for sure. Oh, Robinson. I'm sorry. Robinson, because – I don't of, expect him to get sent off 44. No, neither do I. That's, that's no, a good I, so I, I think it's a good point from Bradford that – I think the performance is exceptional from Evernet, I'd say, with the exception of Robinson. People worked, as Alec mentioned, they bought into that game plan. They, they worked so hard with 10 men against, as you guys have mentioned, one yep. of the richest teams in England who can afford to bring off Timo Werner and Hudson Adore off the bench. Yeah, I forgot to mention Timo yeah. Werner comes off the bench, yeah. Max. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> and big picture is the fact that Chelsea only just squeaked out a win against us with and 30 that, minutes to go when we had 10 men for half the match. And that tells you that's an embarrassment for Chelsea. That's an embarrassment. But it also me. tells you something about Fulham, Max. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we played really well. But again, we're in the relegation Alex, zone. Sh- picking up wins. Um, and, and we need to be realistic. But I'm very happy with the performance. I don't want to. So don't okay. get me wrong, guys. I'm not being too negative about this performance. We played superb. I'm just looking at the overall picture and saying we, we, need, we need to get the wins against teams around us. We're going to get to that. Yet, <laughs> Trust me, we're going to get to that at the end of the show. I want to have a good, good discussion on that. But back over to you, Alec. Again, this is part of uh, a good discussion here because we're talking about the players. And Max brings up not having a striker. And we could talk about this to a bull in their face until a move is made. And yes. Tony Khan needs to bring in a striker. I completely agree, and I'm sure he's working on it, but but he needs to do it because getting back to the conversation about Cavallaro, Cavallaro is giving you everything that he can, Alec. The problem is, one, he's not a striker. Two, he's limited. So you're asking someone to do something that he's just not capable of doing, Alec, and that causes issues. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, and I would also agree with Max's point that it's not Mitro's year, so we just don't have – the luxury of of having our real first rate number nine in the, in the starting side. I don't know what's really going on with Mitro this year, but we, we've had to make do with Cavalera. And I, I, I think we're being a little bit harsh on Cavalera. I actually think in general, Cavalera has been, has been pretty okay. He squandered probably the best chance of the game yesterday, but that happens to the best, that happens to the best players. He works hard for the team. He really does. He does really work hard for the team. Even though he wasn't effective at goal scoring, he was effective in our game plan. Like yes. I said, he was constantly chomping down on on Jorginho and really not allowing him to, really not allowing Chelsea to play the ball out out, out of the midfield, forcing you know forcing their forcing their centre back their centre halves to come forward and actually play it out of the back, which Chelsea aren't really that comfortable doing. I think in general, Cavalera works really hard and he really buys into and he really buys into the team the team's yes. men, the team mentality. He's not an individual. He's not an indiv- He's not an individual player. And when you have other number nines, like uh, other number nines in the team, like Kamara, who won't let a fellow teammate take a penalty, or Mitrovic, who, who will throw a sock when things aren't going his way. So having someone like Cavalero might might actually be what, what we need in, in Scott Parker's team. Someone with a little bit of discipline and a little bit of know-how, um, just know-how and etiquette in playing with the team. Okay, very but good. What was what it about Cavalera? I, I agree with that. I think he's a great striker in terms of what you mentioned, defensive work great, perhaps being less selfish. But let's just take a step back. If those are the attributes we're complimenting our number nine for, we're in serious trouble because he doesn't score goals. 
and and maybe that explains our predicament is that the best thing about a number nine is that he's really good for a defensive work defensive game plan. And that's I guess everyone knows that's that's a big issue. So right. He's being asked to play a position that he's not suited for Max. That's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. For sure. Okay. All right, guys. Let's move on. Let's now get to talk about uh, the first half. You know, again, we've already talked a little bit about it, but I'll, I'll just stop on a key, couple of key moments, which we know what, what they are. But, you know, as we've already been talking about, Fulham were holding their own, but Chelsea were the better side for the, I would say, for the first 25 to 30, 35 minutes of the match. You know, as Max, I think you said, it's not that we were really troubled, except, again, you can, you could talk about, the fact that Mount hit the uh, crossbar, I think it was around the 26th minute. That was a, a good moment for them. And, you know, Fulham were just hanging in there. But then things seemed to change, guys, later on in the first half. Like I said, we had our own spell. And then we started on the press, causing them all kinds of problems. And, guys, then we have to go and we have to talk about the miss. We'll, we'll go to the miss right now. Max, I'll give you the honors. Let's just talk about the move. We, we talked about this on full-time. This is set up beautifully from – great pass from Anthony Robinson. Another wonderful pass from Tete sets up Cavallaro. He's not a striker. He showed it here. Thoughts on the miss from Cavallaro and how that probably affected the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to dwell too much on the miss. I've already, you know, okay. wrote the Cavallaro enough earlier on. But let's focus on the move, which I think is, is the best part of this. Yep. And it actually starts again with Lookman with that back heel to release uh, Robinson left wing. I mean, that left wing partnership of Lookman, Robinson is just so dangerous yeah. because Lookman can come inside, play almost as a more attacking fielder in that sense. And you can have Robinson uh, go up and, and vacate that space left on the wing. Which And his, his deliveries have been getting better. And we saw that in this match. I think the best pass of the lot, however, is Tete's. Oh, because you're that. seeing this ball come. It's whipped at pace, fizzed on the ground. And I think he's just going to hit it first time at goal and maybe blast it over like Asplukweta did later on in the match. But the composure to hit it first time, cushion that right into the open Cavalier when, when he just, it's actually, and credit to Cavalier, it's a really nice run to notice that the center backs are falling towards the goal, check his run, pull back into the space. And then the finish is just uh, very unfortunate. But the larger picture is, you know, when you want to stay up, when you have these chances, you capitalize on them. And yep. then you can sit back and protect the lead, which you're very good at, as we know. Right. But it, it, you felt that it was a missed opportunity. It came back to bite us. Um, but again, that was probably one of the only high-quality opportunities of the first half for us, if I can remember correctly. It's certainly the best opportunity we had. So when you have – and then that's the situation when we have a striker who isn't a natural number nine. You yep. don't create very many opportunities. And if you miss the few opportunities you have, it's not going to end well. But then again, it's Chelsea. I didn't expect to win. Honestly, I didn't even expect to draw. So it, I'm not, I don't want to be too negative here. Yeah. And that's also you have to take in consideration who they played. They played a team that, again, has so much talent and has spent so much money, and you're holding more than your own against that team. And that's the way I look at it. All right, over to you, Alec. We do now have to talk about the Anthony Robinson situation because, again, like I mentioned, Fulham had this spell. Then they were doing the high press. Everything was working great. They were making Chelsea nervous. And then we have the situation, the straight red for Robinson. What was going through your mind when you saw this? When you initially saw it, did you say to yourself, straight red? Yeah, pretty much. I thought straight red. I thought there was, there was pretty little question in my mind. Um, 
you know, you just saw how Aspilicueta went over him. He, he almost did a he almost did did a somersault right there. So it was it was a pretty rash challenge. I don't know what was going through Robinson's head. He had had a pretty excellent game up until that yeah, point. Said, he, had a, he had a really big part, like just like just like Max said. You know, he had a really great part in in the uh, in the earlier chance and. I don't know what I really don't know what he was thinking because it was not in a dangerous area of the pitch. He just seemed he just seemed to lose control. I think I think he might have been a little bit wound up by the by the challenge by Mount. I think Mount came in a little bit aggressive on um, on Lookman. I think it was, and uh, he seemed to be a, he seemed to get a little bit riled up by that and just went in just really very recklessly with a complete disregard for Aspilicueta's safety. It could have been a real it could have been a really really nasty incident. Um, and Aspilicueta did not try to avoid the avoid the collision himself, but at the end of the day, that it was a it, it was a red card in my mind. Um, it was just a real shame because, like we just mentioned, the two wing backs have the the, the wing back play the wing back link up with the with the with the left and left and right wings. You know that and the overlapping and the overlapping run in between them. Yeah, that had really shown our that that, that had been the source of most of our chances. That that had been the source of our strength with this five four one formation is that yeah. you have these wing backs who can make overlapping runs. And once we lost that we were our, our our attacking game was completely neutered and we didn't really have much much going for us after that unfortunately especially going forward. Okay. Very good. All right. Guys let's switch to the second half Max I'll give you the lead on the second half and I want to mention this because the announcers you, you probably heard this Max were talking about Fulham's approach when the second half began. Do you know that they were they were still pressing? They were pressing at the beginning of the second half. They showed the confidence enough to continue to press even though they were down a man. And I thought Fulham handled Chelsea fairly well. Yes, as you said earlier, Max, you could see the goal coming, but still I thought they were handling themselves fairly well, picking their spots, but um, the ball just kept coming back because they were down a man. But I thought they handled Chelsea fairly well up to the goal. So let's talk about the goal from Mount. It's a save from Ariola, and then it goes right to Mount, and he takes care of the rest. And your thoughts of the goal from Mason Mount, that was the difference in the match. So uh, It's a number of defensive lapses, uh, which is to be expected when you're fatigued, you've been playing you know, with a man down for so mm-hmm. long. But we just give, first of all, we give Chiwell too much space to put in the cross. I think that on, there was an initial cross that was cleared from, from Mount before that. But Areola, you can't palm the ball right back into the danger area. Yeah. If, if I'm him, you either tip it over the goal, you give up a corner, not the end of the world, or you catch that. And I think it wasn't hit with a lot of pace. It, it might have surprised him trying to lob him, but it, it was disappointing in, in my mind because he had such a good match but you cannot put the ball back in the danger area. And he actually got away with one in the first half when I think Ziyech fizzed in a really nice cross on the ground and Ariola palmed it right back up the middle. Luckily, it went to a Fulham player. This time, we were not so lucky. And then, honestly, from Mount, it's a really nice finish first time. Cushioned on the floor, hits it hard and low. The hardest thing about that for a player is getting you know your knee over it and not blazing it into Rosette. So credit to Mount. But... Aina should be a little bit tighter, and he turned his back, which you hate to see uh, yeah. from a defender standpoint. He didn't necessarily throw himself in front of it, and then that kind of uh, it, it left Ariel unsighted, so it blocked his vision. And, and he just felt it was coming, and that's the worst part. I, as soon as those kind of crosses came in from from inside the penalty area, I just had a bad feeling. And then it's terrible to see Mount and the Chelsea players wheel away in celebration. Oh. Um, 
at Craven Cottage, it, at least are no away fans because that would have been an even bigger, you know, dagger to the heart. Okay, very good. Alec, back over to you. I'm actually going to go back a little bit because this is something that you said earlier and uh, I, I should have uh, started with this, but let's go back because uh, I think uh, in the second half of a big talking point needs to be the substitutions from Frank Lampard and uh, your next door neighbor gets taken off. That's Georgina, by the way, if anyone wants to know, that's, that's, that's Alex, uh, next door neighbor who seems to be playing his guitar very loudly. Right, right, Alex? <laughs> Uh, he's, he's celebrating. I haven't heard anything about the Qatar though today. That's more okay. of a summertime thing. Okay. Well, let's talk about as as you said to us off air. You thought this was the moment when everything changed when they took off Jorginho and they brought on Tammy Abraham, and you know, again, they brought on Timo Werner, they brought on Calum Hudson Odoi. Calum Hudson Odoi, I, I thought it had an immediate effect. So. The players that they could bring on really changed the match. But like we talked about, like you mentioned, there was no need to keep Jorginho in that match because we were down a man. Right. There was no need to keep him there was no need to keep him in that match. And also he wasn't being very effective in that role. Chelsea had wanted to play the ball out of the out of the midfield, but Cavalera just really wasn't letting them. And when Cavalera wasn't and when Cavalera wasn't there, it was it was Reed or Anguisa shutting down Kovacic, uh shutting down uh, Kovacic and Mount. So we always had players really shutting down that central midfield. But what happened when Abraham came, came on and we were sitting back, the two centre-halves started to push forward even more. Rudiger and Silva just stepped over the halfway line, started playing it straight through, cutting the cutting the midfield straight through the middle, um, through Anguissa and Reed. And we had Giroud also getting in between, between our centre-backs as well. And then in not just between our centre-backs, but also between the centre-back and the full-backs. So we that, that was causing us all kinds of problems. So what we resorted to was to sit back and play almost a back six. And so, of course, you're going to have people like Chilwell, right, Chilwell and, and Aspilicueta rushing up the pitch, making underlapping runs, making overlapping runs, and really putting us under putting us under pressure there. And that's where that and that was really a symptom of that was really quite quite uh, obvious when when we conceded the goal. Chilwell had a little bit too much space, like Max said. He got he he got in behind, poor clearance from our area, poor poor save clearance, whatever you want to call it from Ariola, and it falls right to Mount who who, who slots it away, and having 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 Abraham's all all the way up there also also allowed also allowed um, Mount to have a little bit more space in that box because then we had one more person to think of in that eighteen yard box. Chelsea really started put, putting on the pressure there, and we just didn't have the manpower to stop the on the initial onslaught of the. Attack of the attack, nor did we have nor did we have enough men in the middle to actually deal with the with the clear and present danger. So okay. all, all around, I think I think um, that was a key. Ch- I think that was a key change in the match, and it was a key change to exploit uh, the gap that had been left by Robinson in the first half. Okay, excellent stuff, Max. Over to you because that's going to lead me to ask you about something that Emilio's talked about on full time. He thought that Fulham made their substitutions too late. What are your thoughts about this? Because, again, we have what Alec is talking about, Frank Lampard making his substitutions that had a huge effect. Now, we've already talked about the bench for Fulham, which was lacking for several reasons. Part of it, you know, again, the situation that Fulham's under. But what are your thoughts about making these substitutions late? Do you agree with Emilio on that? Yeah, I agree with Emilio that it was late. And also Stefan has put that in the comments because – Essentially, the same players had just played 90 minutes. 
on Wednesday against Spurs. Now they're playing against with 10 men against Chelsea. And yeah, why not give them some help? They were definitely tired. And it, it just seemed as I think we've talked a lot about on college talk in the past couple of years, it was reactive instead of proactive. That's exactly what you always say. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was odd, but again, it wasn't like there was an amazing a repertoire of choices in the bench. And as we've talked about a lot, this show, so I can see why Parker stuck with the squad as he thought they were doing quite well and didn't necessarily want to jeopardize that, but I would definitely would have made the changes earlier on. I think Anima should, should have come on earlier because he was, I think he's bright in midfield and he could add ex, some extra legs. And also I'd, I'd probably throw in Joe Bryan maybe for someone like Lookman, a uh, more attacking player just to give us, because Bryan can play left wing, but also has that defensive uh, point of view. But I don't, I'm not sure I, I draw a direct correlation between the lack of substitutions and the Chelsea goal per se. Okay. I'm not sure fresh legs would have averted that, but I think it would have made us play it a little bit better. Okay. And uh, I understand where you and uh, Emilio are coming with that. Okay. And, and, Alex, just to finish up, we've already talked a little bit about this. How did you think Fulham finished the match? Because, again, we were going for it at the end. And as Max and I were talking about, we, we were hearing all kinds of criticism from the announcers talking about Chelsea's approach at the end. Well, what are your thoughts about how Fulham were taking it to Chelsea, even though nothing came of it? They were playing all 90-plus minutes here, and they were trying to get that equalizer even down a man. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought we – played okay i just think we played as any team would play if, if they're chasing chasing a match but we did offer we did often leave ourselves pretty vulnerable at the back at, at the back and that's how why you saw you know someone like Werner get in behind us and he really should have made well, a turn yeah, sure. that one in the game where you know we don't really care we just we're, we're throwing everything we've got at it the players show good heart although i i, I felt it was a little bit disjointed our play i thought we, it was a little bit more route one but i guess that's what you would expect um, when you're chasing the game late on as a relegation side. Yep. Um, okay, very good. All right. Coming up next, I'm going to ask my co-host their man of the match, and then we have a very interesting topic. How full is Fulham's glass by Dan Crawford? He wrote a very good article on handman.com. We're going to discuss how positive or negative we are. So it should be a fun way to end this show. Okay, Max, back over to you. Let me get your full man of the match. Who was your man of the match? Yeah, I discussed this uh, earlier, how impressed I was by his performance in the center of the park, and it's going to have to go to Harrison Reed. Uh, he's just such a little pit bull in there, running 90 minutes, harassing some really skillful players, but also shielding that you know back five from danger. I easily also could have gone to someone like Anderson Adarabayo. Those center backs are great today as well. A lot of heart i think we mentioned from this performance but i think harrison reed exemplifies that uh the best okay let me ask you this did we miss ruben loftus cheek in this match uh so i think in a more attacking sense in a way yes i think he could have given us a different dimension perhaps off the bench because when we took off cavalier for anima i think maybe putting on loftus cheek would have been a different story but i wouldn't say it it was a big miss Okay. I think we miss Lamina. We miss Lamina a lot more. Just, you just took the words. I was going <laughs> to ask Alec that. <laughs> I was going to ask Alec that same five point. Max is always one step ahead. That's great. Thanks, thanks there, Max. Okay, Alec, did we miss Mario Lamina in this match? And then I want to get your man of the match. That's exactly what I was going to say, but of course Max had to steal my thunder. Did we miss Mario Lamina? 
I actually don't think we did. I thought I, I think the team we put out was was good enough to to beat these guys. I uh, I just think we were unfortunate. I think we were unfortunate with the red card. I think at the end of the day, the red card changed changed the whole face of the game. Uh, like Max mentioned earlier, and I think the team that we had put out was strong enough to beat them. Maybe we could have maybe we could have done with a with a more goal with a, a better goal scoring presence. We could have done maybe with the strength of loft of loft of loftus cheek. However, I think that the team that we put out was 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 far and away good enough to to get a result here today. Um, I just think it was unfortunate. But Lamina, Lamina does bring a lot of does does bring a lot of control to the center to the center of the pitch, though. He does. We could, have been with, we could have benefited from his presence, but I don't think it was um, crucial in turning in, in turning the game in any way. Okay. By the way, your internet connection was going really off and uh, on. During the time you were talking about Jorginho, so I'm starting to think that he was listening in and just trying to mute you. I just want to mention that. I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. We're talking about Jorginho, and all of a sudden, Alex's uh, internet connection isn't as strong. Hmm, that's very interesting. Okay. Okay. Great stuff, guys. Great show so far. But we're going to end on a very interesting topic. And I would highly recommend all films. Well, actually, this is a Goldman. Let me go back to you, Alec. I forgot to mention this. Who's your man of the match? You didn't say. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Tate. Um, I think Tate was pretty excellent, um, and uh, not just not not just in his defensive play in shutting down the in shutting down the Chelsea threat down the left, but also in, in his role in, in in that great chance that we had. A very nice ball into into Cavalera. So I, I would just say that all round, I, th- I would say I would give it to Tate. Okay, that's uh, that's actually a. Very good player to give it to. Okay. Guys, like I mentioned, we are going to end the show talking about basically what's your thoughts on Fulham? How do you approach Fulham? Are you a glass half full supporter? Are you a glass half empty supporter? As we look at where they are right now. And Dan Crawford on hamien.com wrote this great article. Dan, actually, and I'll say this now, and I haven't said this in a while. I miss Dan. Hopefully I'll get Dan on the show very soon, and I know Dan's willing to come back. Is um, Dan really helped? cottage talk continue i this show would not continue without dan crawford when uh my co-host at the time moved to uh perth australia that was uh that was my original co-host was uh kyle bond uh dan crawford stepped up to the plate and helped me continue to do cottage talk and i'll always be so thankful to dan crawford i just want to say that but dan wrote a great article how Full is Fulham's glass. I'm going to try to read some of this, and and then, and then we'll we'll get your thoughts on. It. I'm just going to read this portion of it because I think it really talks about what I really want to get to. It essentially comes down to how positive you feel. Is Fulham's glass half full? This is from Dan Crawford or half empty. The optimists will point to Parker bravery and switching to five at the back, and the fact that the best teams in the land have struggled to breach Fulham's defense in the past few weeks. His achievement in knitting together an entire new back three, as well as the massive stroke of deploying Bobby Decadova-Reed as a roving win-back, certainly shouldn't be understated. But goals win games, and Fulham aren't scoring enough of them. A gap has started to open up between the whites and safety. It's just the wrong time. So if you are a pessimist, in nature, the sign of another demotion from the top flight are probably already flashing. Okay. Guys, that is just a part, a portion from the article from Dan Crawford. So I'm going to ask you, 
Max, I'm going to go to you first. Where do you fall? Are you a glass half full supporter? Are you Mad Max or Optimus Max? <laughs> it's tough. I'm, I'm going to say glass half empty, and here's why. I think right. we've seen how good this film oh, team you're, can you're be. half empty. I'm shocked. <laughs> we, we've seen how good this film team can be, right? Yes. Performances against Liverpool, Spurs, Leicester. I even said Chelsea is up there. And we know what we can do when we're not expected to win. When we're not expected to win and there's an uphill battle, I think we're very comfortable and almost relish that defensive challenge with the back five playing really well with the central midfielders, hairing the opposition with even the strikers, giving that high press. And we're good at counterattacking in spells, but not quite capitalizing on goals. But in the matches, when the onus is on us to attack, when we might even be considered the favorites, you know, let's think the Brighton match, the Newcastle match, maybe even the Southampton match, but I wouldn't quite put it there. But I'll put it in there because they're missing Ings uh, and some of their best players. We haven't stepped up to the plate. And that's what makes me, I wouldn't say fully pessimistic, but just skeptical because at some point we're going to have to attack teams and get goals. And I, I just don't see that in the team. I think we lack creativity. I think we lack a striker. And, you know, again, we're, we're playing well against when we're not perhaps expected to play well. But when it shifts to us being expected to play well, and, you know, I think Alec mentioned, we did attack Liverpool from the onset. But we did. We sat back after we got the goal. When we expected to put in a 90-minute performance of attacking creativity, creativity with that prowess, I don't think we have it in us quite yet. And it goes to the point where, you know, you get that one-one one, one draw against Liverpool. <clears throat> you get the one-one draw against Spurs. You win again against away at Leicester two-one. And you look at paper and you think, if you're drawing Liverpool one-one, you should beat Brighton at home. If you're drawing Spurs one-one away, you think this is a red flag that we're not able to adjust to the teams around us to play a different way. Yeah, I think. And listen, this isn't me, you know, being an alarmist. I just think it's it's the fact of the matter is that we have these great results. But we're not carrying we're not carrying those great results into wins against teams around us, and that's why I'm glass half empty. I think that could easily change. I'd love to be proven wrong, but currently in this situation, it's January the seventeenth. We've almost played half the season, and we've two wins. I think it's very hard to be overwhelmingly positive when you're faced with that situation. And here's why: I know you guys are going to say, "Listen, look how well we played against Chelsea. Look how well we played against Spurs." But we played that well against teams like Liverpool and not translated that into wins in subsequent matches. That's my point of concern. Okay, and going back to you, because while you're saying this, and I know you're focused on the Brighton match, and you should, thoughts on the Newcastle match? You went up only on halftime? You know this. But again, Russ, it wasn't a good performance. I think it was gritty and it was you know had tactical analysis, but Newcastle are one of the worst teams in the division. I think they're generally so much worse than Fulham. And oh, I totally agree. We, we were struggling to create chances against them. It wasn't an easy performance. Even when we got the goal, let's be honest, it was a pretty fortunate own goal right off Matt Ritchie's face. It wasn't a great performance in the way that we played. I think we played great against Chelsea. I don't think we played great against Newcastle. Okay. Okay. So I see where you're going on that. Okay. Alec, over to you. Where do you fall? Are you a glass half empty or half full? I would say I'm half full, but I will... I will say that I, I do agree with Max on in, in the sense that when the when the occasion is mounted then mm-hmm. then we really rise to the challenge. When there's no when there isn't that the same sense of occasion, we, we sort of drop off and we think that 
we think that uh, we, we think that a defensive performance is good enough to to beat a team like Brighton or Newcastle, and unfortunately, I would and unfortunately that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it for the rest of the season. However, I am a glass half full because I keep on harking back to the beginning of the season when we just could not when we just were hemorrhaging goals. It's um, by, by, yeah, by the by the minute, by the hour, and it was pretty. It was it, we were in pretty dire straits. Now we look a lot more solid and yes and yes we're not scoring goals but locking up the defense is the first step to really to really making yourself into a side that can stay up and it's a foundation Alec it, they have it on occasion I mean we but the thing is is that our defense performs against the big teams and against the small teams so we have done half we have done well for half the battle yep. we just need to translate that into goals we don't need to score that many goals against the big sides we do need to score more goals against the little sides I agree but I, I feel that we have had the chance. We are still creating the chances to actually win these games. We're just not taking them. And okay. that can come down to a, a number of things. It's not a tactical change that we need. It's not even a per- – I don't even think it's so much a personnel change that we need or bringing, or a case of bring, having to bring in more players. I think it's just an attitude change. And I just think that in, in, a, couple of those, uh, in a couple of those situations, maybe the sense of, the sense of occasion got to these players. It's just one chance here and there that can that can get squandered. It's not. It's for me that's not symptomatic of a of a wider strategic or tactical problem. And that's why I am glass. And that's why I would say I'm a glass half full. Okay, very interesting because I'm going to share this, and I would highly recommend everyone, as I've been saying, read Dan's article because in Dan's article he says that the switch to this uh, new formation could have taken away some of the offensive prowess that we could potentially have that that again to be solid defensively might have been taking back some of what we could do going forward where, where do you fall on that because it sounds like you're you don't think that's an issue you don't think the the formation changes is an issue i think the form, i think the formation change has sort of blunted our our, our attacking capabilities in some ways okay. um in one in one sense we we have definitely sacrificed Possession, for example. Yes. However, in, in many of the games, relative to our possession, we have actually outcre- we have outcreated chances. We've created more chances than would be expected of us given our possession. I mean, in in, the, in a lot of the last last few games, we've had less than thirty five percent in less than thirty five percent possession, and yet we have created some arguably the best chances of those games. And I'm not just talking about yesterday's game. Like you could look at you could look at the Tottenham game even or the Liverpool game. So in that sense, whilst yes, we have sacrificed some degree of our some some degrees of our attacking play, we are still creating chances. We're just not um, we, we we're incisive with our play. We're just not clinical with our finishing. Not clinical enough. Yeah, Max, over to you. Your thoughts on this because I I thought Dan brought up a good point where Parker needed to change how we play to solidify the defense. It might have taken away some of our, our opportunities going forward. Like we're talking about now, we're going to have lack. Yeah. Of possession, but the quality of opportunities are growing, but we're just not clinical enough. Your thoughts? Yeah, and there's there's a great stat I found uh, when I was doing research uh, before the show that I think really exemplifies the switch. So in that match against Leeds at Ellen Road, I think in September, yeah, we lost four three, right? Conceded yep. four, scored three. In the past six matches, we've conceded four, scored three. So at one ninety minute spell at Ellen Road, wow. Over the past whatever six matches of football, that's that's the entire goal tally, and that's on one end it's amazing because 
the defensive end, is it's, superb. It's concerning. On the other end, the goals aren't quite there. Um, yeah. and, and I'm happy to sacrifice that to an extent. I think Alec hit the nail on the head. You know, the first step to staying up is showing up the defense. That's right. I'm so glad we're not chipping goals. I'm delighted. We just need to get someone who scores them. And that's what I actually disagree. I think, you know, Alex said it's not necessarily about bringing in personnel. It's about changing the attitude. I think it is about the personnel. I think Cavalier has a great attitude. He's just not a goal scorer. So maybe you're referring to Mitrovic and he needs to improve his attitude, which I probably would agree with, but I'm not hopeful that could happen just given what we've seen over the past couple of matches. But who knows? I do think this team needs a spark. And that could be a creative attacking midfielder. Could be another a right winger, which I think will weaken, or it could be a striker. But I think a, a January signing could really do wonders for this team because, as you guys have said, we're almost there. We've almost done the hardest part, which is to stop the goals coming in. Now we just need someone who finishes them. I really think a proven goal scorer could give this team a lot more confidence, and then we're on our way. Okay, very interesting, guys. I'm going to share a poll. I did this late, so I don't have as many votes as I would hope. I have 158 votes, but my poll on the Cutter Stock Twitter page was how full is your foam glass? Half full or half empty? Half full, guys, 77%. The half empty, 23%. Max, over to you. Does that surprise you? But actually, when I looked at it, like, that surprised me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad people are optimistic. I think coming off a good performance since Chelsea, I, I was optimistic too. I just, I stopped and think, and I was like, where was I after the Liverpool match, right? After the Liverpool match, I was on cloud nine. P- Actually, I remember Emilio was in the show, and he said, oh, this is a, this is two points dropped. And I was like, Emilio, hold up. We just drew the champions. This is a great <laughs> – I'm delighted. I'm optimistic. But I did say, now let's wait and see what happens against Brighton. And that's what's making me a little half empty because we didn't produce against Brighton in, the, in that next match. And that's why – the jury's still out for me. But again, okay. I would love to be proven it all. Okay. All right, Alec, over to you. What are your thoughts about the poll? You know, and again, like I said, it's, it's 158 votes. It's not as many as uh, I was hoping to see just because of my timing. I, I didn't, I didn't send it out to wait. But um, the fact that 77 percent are half full actually uh, made me feel pretty good. It makes it makes me feel it makes me feel pretty good too. And I'm glad to see that the fans are as optimistic as I am about the rest of the season and our chances at of staying up because obviously. That that is the that is the challenge for this year. Just staying up, and if we, if the team does improve, we will we will stay up. I think if we just get that get that goal scoring instinct back, we will we will will we won't it won't even be close. We will be well out of that relegation zone. That's what I think. I, I think just the big shame is is I think that just the big shame is is that our on our on our most valuable players on paper are the ones that really just don't fit into this system, and so maybe that does require us to make a few signings in the transfer window. But it's just not going to be easy to, you know, in this in this two week period to really really find that pinpoint player who who can really fit into that system. We've got we've got, you know, I think about TC and and Mitro, and those are arguably have been our two best players in in, in recent years, and. They just don't fit into the new system. And we saw the same thing also with Sess a, a few years back. Where yes. He was one of our best players in the championship, but he just did not fit into us into our premiership system. It's just a shame that it's just a shame that when we do find a system that works, our best players can't find a way to fit into that. Whether that's ego based or whether that's just a, just an, inca- an incompatibility of talent remains to be seen. But I think that's just the biggest shame here. Um, so I feel encouraged by the poll, but 
we do need to we do need to take into account our we we do need to take into account our weaknesses. And I would only say I'm marginally marginally half full. Okay. Half all empty. right. All right. Max, Al brings up a great point, and we've talked about this several times on Cottage Talk. Does Mitro? Does Kearney fit this new way of playing? And uh, I've heard the argument, and, and I want your thoughts on it. Well, Mitro can because he can hold up the ball and players can still run, but he's just not quick enough on the break. And this new style, again, is really about pace. So what do you thought? And Kearney, the same thing. These two players do not have the pace the way that we're playing right now. Can they adapt? Can they adapt? Talking about can Parker adapt how they play a little bit to fit these players? Or is it square pegs and round holes with Kearney and Mitro? This is actually a very interesting way to end the show. What are your thoughts on it? So much of this discussion, I think, depends on fitness, in my opinion. I think a fully fit Kearney and Mitrovic can absolutely fit in this system. And I'll focus on Mitro. Yes, he's not going to be the ones running in behind the last defender with pace. But you look at the goals we've scored. And the let's just take the last two matches, for example. The Cavalier miss and then the Cavalier goal against Spurs. That's a Mitrovic goal, the goal Cavalier scored. A cross in the header. Mitrovic can score that goal. And then I think I've seen Mitrovic do that in the past against Chelsea, the counterattack, when he finds space in the box. Yes, it was on the counter, but it wasn't necessarily him running past the last defender. It was him pulling back on the edge of the, uh, the penalty spot. I can see Mitrovic fitting in. I just think he's, he's just not been on the pace this year in terms of his weight, his fitness. I mean, he's had injury problems. Yeah, don't know if he had, I don't think he had COVID, but it's just been a lot of factors that have affected his play. And I think right now, this Mitrovic cannot fit in. But if he's full of confidence, if he's past his injury problems, I think he absolutely can. So that's what's frustrating is that we know what Mitrovic can do. I guess for whatever reason, 2020, 2021 has just been a very tough year for him. And again, that's even stretching back to his injuries at the end of the 2019-20 season. Okay. How about he's been fully fit for a long time. How about Tom Kearney? And Kearney, it's a little, it's a little more difficult because, yes, he's also injured, but he doesn't quite have the defensive work rate that I think Parker would like. Yeah, I agree with that. But again, it was a West Brom match, in which I think was his absolutely best match of the season, maybe one of our best performances, you know, only one of our two wins, when Kearney totally pulled the strings. Maybe a situation in which you're playing a team who's around us, maybe you swap out a holding midfielder. Maybe you take out Harrison Reed and you put in Kearney. You just make a swap to understand the situation when maybe you don't need the offensive work, right? You need someone to unlock a defense. Yep. No, listen, it's an interesting topic because, again, it's talking about putting together a team, Alec, and, and I'll end with you on this, that is a, a true team. It's not about the most talented players. It's about the right players, right? And that's why I see your argument about Mitro, that I don't know if Mitro fits. I can see how he can, but it's a little bit of a square peg and round hole based on how we're playing. It's not about – Let's just throw on all of our best players. It's about each player having a role, doing their job. Sorry, Max, Patriots talk here. (laughs) Do your job. Bill Belichick, do your job. And I think at times, like I said, we're talking about these two players. I see your point that maybe they don't always have a role here because of the way that Parker has us set up. So I see where you're coming on that. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at a close, you know, look at a, look at a close comparison. Cristiano Ronaldo, he, he 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 was a talisman at 
at Real Madrid. But you, if you try to put him in a Barcelona side, he probably wouldn't have fitted in right there. And so that's the sort of situation we're looking at here, especially when we take into account Mitro. Yep. Mitro, he's, he's, he, he's like a talisman of the team, but we don't need an attacking talisman in, in, our, team, in our team system right now. We, we are, we're more defensive-minded. And Mitro, he, he's not so defensive-minded. He doesn't like to track back so much. He just likes to score goals. I mean, he's good at defending on set pieces, but that's pretty much as far as, as his defensive capabilities go. TC, I mean, I think he he is just he's just quite soft. Uh, I think he's great going forward, but he's 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 easily pushed off the ball, and he's and he's a bit of a target for the for the enforcers on the other side to to, to snap at his ankles a little bit. So, I I yeah, I think we need to. I think I think those. It's just a shame that those two players just don't really fit into our system right now, despite how talented they are. Okay. While you're saying all this, I have a, a framed uh, shirt of uh, Dimitar Berbatov up here, Alec. And there's no way that Berbatov could play on this team. <laughs> no, no, not even Berbatov could play on this team, though he no, there's, no, I do miss his days. No, no, there's no way. I was just, while he's saying this, I'm like, oh, Berbatov. You know, there's no way he could have played like this. There's no way. Anyways, great show. Fantastic show, guys. Max, I hope you enjoyed it, my friend. Yeah, for sure. It's great to be on with Alec, and it was a lot of great discussion, lively yeah. debate. Loved it. Okay, Alec, thank you so much for uh, joining us, and uh, I hope you didn't tick off your uh, next door neighbor too much. Thanks so much, Russ. I better go and apologize right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent show. Well, it is time to wrap up this episode for my co-host Max Cohen and Alec Coben. I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute. And all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping. And you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants. 18 plus. Serving times. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.